Roy was, in, was supposed to be in D.C., had a cancellation. When I got a call from Sarah, he said, well, you know, he's heading this way. And then I said, get him here. We need to connect. And so, praise God. And so, I want to invite Roy. Where's Roy? Come on, Roy. I want him to share a little bit about Israel. Um, what's going on? You know, we get a lot of negative stuff often from the news. But that's not, that's not real. He said this morning in the cafe what I've said before. I have felt safer in Israel than I do in downtown Wilmington. That's the truth. So, Roy, Roy and Mary have been serving in Israel for 28 years, since 1990. And so... Um, I want to just encourage you this morning, he's, uh, his finances are by faith. He walks by faith. So these are some books that he brought with us. These are, they'll, they'll just bless you. If you'd like to make a love offering, whatever that would be, just make it big. Amen. <laughs> Roy, share a couple minutes. Thank you very much. Yeah, just any love offering God puts on your heart would be appreciated. These are uh, testimonies of two of my friends, uh, one called Timelines is a testimony of an 87-year-old friend of mine that I'm going to be with in Nashville actually tomorrow, and powerful testimony that no matter what age you are in life, even already in church, already serving God, and struggles and issues and behind-the-scenes things, God is still there. He still walks with us through those things. He doesn't leave us, and, uh, but it's just a powerful testimony uh, she talks about the good things on the timeline and the bad things on the timeline and how God was with her through the whole thing. Powerful testimony. Another is um, a younger friend of mine. Uh, the book is called Moina. Uh, her name now is, is Holly, but she was one of um, Mother Teresa's orphans found on the streets of Calcutta. And uh, God just uh, had a different plan for her life. She had polio. She was told she would never walk that she would never have children. She's walking, and she has three beautiful children. Today, a friend of mine adopted her from there, brought her back to America, has a powerful testimony, and they're involved with uh, Gateway Church over in Dallas. So another powerful testimony that I encourage you to get. And they both said that we can just make it available for a love offering to our ministry. So uh, anything less than $10 is not love. I'm just joking. Uh, whatever you have in your heart and in your pocket that God tells you to give, would be uh, really appreciated. 28 years, 100% by faith. We weren't sent by a denomination or paid by an organization. God just said, go. When they invited me, I was co-pastoring a church for 12 years down in Florida, and um, God, um, we just finally got to the point where the church had gone from 100 people to 1,500 people, and we were doing large productions four times a year, about 8,000 people, and Finally built a nice house and was starting to think about a retirement plan and all these wonderful things. Had a big giant satellite dish in our backyard back when that was cool. My brother worked for the company and gave it to me, but I thought it was cool. And finally said, okay, now. And God said, he sent somebody to ask me if I would move my family to Jerusalem, become a staff worship leader with an organization there. At the time, that was the plan. And um, it sounded interesting, although I wanted to stay where I was. I, was. I had all kinds of exciting plans. We were just getting started. And I said, well, just out of curiosity, how much would something like that pay? And they said, well, that's the only little detail. We can't pay you anything. And, folks, I, I'm not here to preach today. I want to share something with you about Israel. But, but um, I think it's going to tie in with what Pastor is preaching today. The words that came out of my mouth became my very own challenge. And this might be something that God's dealing, that you've been struggling over, even about coming to Israel, or anything in your life. The words that came out of my mouth were, that can't be God, that's impossible. 
what's wrong with this picture, right? And so um, the Lord really challenged me by, the own, by my own words that came out of my mouth. And because, here's the reason why, because inwardly the Holy Spirit was doing something different than what was coming out of my mouth, than what is possible. The supernatural power of God was invading inside of my natural being. And that's what he loves to do. And that's what he's doing on the planet today. If you're looking at all the terrible things that are happening, I'm reading a book now by a friend of mine called, his name is Don Finto, and the book's called Prepare. But uh, he quotes from a famous book that um, uh, Charles Dickens wrote called um, The Tale of Two Cities. And, And in the book it says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. Don says, the darkest time in all of history, as well as the most brilliant for the people of God, lies before us. And folks, I'm telling you, I know God's doing wonderful things in your congregation. I hear some powerful testimonies, and David Decker talks about you guys all the time. He's a friend of mine, and I do a lot of stuff with him in Israel. But beyond the exciting thing, even David got healed here a couple times, I think. And and so you guys believe in the powerful, supernatural power of God. But I'm telling you, for the world, God's center stage is Jerusalem. The center stage of God. If you took all the continents of the world, remember how God separated the lands? Did you ever notice that they look like puzzle pieces? If you push them back together, they fit together like a puzzle. If you did that, right in the middle would be, of course, the Middle East. That's why we call it the Middle East. In the middle of the Middle East is Israel. In the middle of Israel is Jerusalem. And in the middle of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount where Jesus is going to come back. But you know what? There's been a timeline. Speaking of this book called Timelines, there's been a timeline from thousands of years ago that goes even beyond where we are today. But we are coming towards the end of that timeline. But how many of you have ever said, I wish I was alive in Bible times? Well, you are alive in Bible times. I mentioned before, 25% of the Bible was written before it even happened. And Chuck Missler always said, uh, without fail, without any, any mistakes, there's not one thing that, that was written wrong. That ought to grab your atheist friend's attention, all your science people that say, well, it's just scientifically unprovable. Because supernatural is above and beyond the natural. And, and I would understand why a person can't believe that, except God in his brilliance knew how he created us, that we would need something tangible, something that we could look at. So he says, I'm preparing a stage. I'm, I'm portraying a story. There's some certain people called the chosen people. People don't like that. They were chosen to play on the stage. They weren't better than anybody else. They were just chosen. You can be chosen to clean the toilets. How many wants to clean the toilets? I'll choose somebody. You're chosen. They were chosen to play out a story, and the story is still being played out today. He said, I know it's going to be difficult to believe, so I'm going to tell you between two and 300 things that are going to happen before they happen. Now, that would get your attention, right? But they weren't just things that are going to happen like you're going to build a building or this is going to happen. No, two or 300 impossible things are going to happen. And the world says that can't happen because it's impossible, so God says, that's my point. Now, watch. I always say, if you don't believe it, hide and watch. Just watch what God is doing because now most of these things are already coming true and many of them in our lifetime today. It is an impossible thing that the United States moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 
but it happened just a couple weeks ago. It happened. Some of you have seen Judge Janine Pirro on TV. Israeli friend of mine was bringing her whole entourage over, and uh, he, he actually knows all these politicians and stuff. And, but, but he happened to know that I'm friends with an old Dutch preacher. I don't know if you know Jan Willem van der Hoven or not. Uh, um, and that this old Dutch preacher is one of Benjamin Netanyahu's best friends. And I need to be careful because this is going online, I think. So even Israel loves Jan Willem van der Hoven. I'm okay with that. It's okay to say that he's friends with BB. I'll tell you also, I think it's okay if it goes out. Lord, just guide. Don't let the enemy use anything for destruction because there are people that don't like these things that try to, to shut them down. We declare that that can't happen. Nothing wrong with BB, the prime minister, having a friend, right? He calls my friend, Jan Willem, and says, um, what do you think I ought to do? See, this is evangelical Christian believer. Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, devil-chasing. What do you think I ought to do? My friend will give him a scripture. And VB takes that scripture, hangs up the phone from my friend, his friend, walks in front of a press conference in front of the world's media and says, well, as the Bible says, and he quotes the scripture that was just given to him, and he stands. So we're giving the, the leaders, of, the political leaders of Israel a biblical backbone, standing on God's word. I've heard them stand up in the Knesset and say, these Christians are talking about us. These Christians are not like other Christians. They believe our book more than we do. And they remind us that God gave us this land. That's what's happening today. So my Israeli friend called me and he said, uh, I, I'm having trouble getting through to the, the prime minister's um, uh, office. They promised me that, that uh, Bibi, the prime minister, could get an interview with Judge Janine. And I'm not hearing anything, and, and his words, he's an Israeli guy, my goose is cooked. <laughs> he said, we've got a $500 a plate banquet that all these big donors are coming with her, and, and I can't get through. He says, can you do something? I said, let me see what I can do. So I called my friend, who's Bibi's friend, and I said, hey, I said, um, do you think you could help get them in touch with, with Bibi? He said, on one condition, if, if Judge Janine will have dinner in my house. And it happened. And I got to lead worship at Jan Willem's house with Judge Janine and her group. And uh, if you've ever heard her or seen her on TV, you know what she's like. And she said to me afterwards, well, you got me. I said, what? She said, the tears started coming and they wouldn't stop. <laughs> and the Lord touched her and she got the interview with Bibi. And uh, that's even before they knew at the time that, that the the President of the United States was going to actually have the embassy moved on Israel's Independence Day. She got the scoop interview with Bibi for that. And anyway, these are kind of things that, that Israel is aware of, but these are things that were prophesied. There's a lot of prophecy we won't have time to go into. That's not my point here today. But just to alert you, many, many things that God said would happen that are happening, transpiring today against all odds. Israel exists against all odds. It's God said, when I bring you back, no one will ever pluck you up. I'm telling you, folks, the safest place to be is in Israel. It's the only place in the Bible that God guarantees your safety and protection. So you need to consider that when you're thinking about coming. But you need to also consider that you have an opportunity to come and literally dance on God's center stage. You can come and walk around and see before your very eyes impossible things that are happening. 
your guide and everybody around you will be people that are fulfillment, that came back because God said they would come back. And you will see God showing off on the planet today. So I want to encourage you to do that. And just, uh, again, more than just a trip, God is doing something here with you guys that is just, just like seeds all through this region that is helping everybody in this area, even in the spiritual realm, plus what you are saying and doing wherever you go, that uh, you are like God's agents, his, his even, uh, I'm thinking, what's the agricultural term? Like seeds, anyway, just going out there. God is using you to open people's eyes to the reality of God. And he says, the world will see and know that I am God. That's your pastor. I think I went too long, so I'll give it back. I want to, uh, I want to ask the elders and their wives, pastors and wives, I want to pray for Roy. Um, you know, he's been given opportunities to lead worship, to connect with the Knesset, lays hands on Knesset members, because he's a massage therapist. I like how God, God just kind of, you know, he's just good. And so I just want to pray for doors to be open for he and Mary. Uh, I just felt there was a divine appointment connection. Um, and Sarah, come. I want to, they're going to lead worship together in Jerusalem. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that, Lord, just make a way. Lord, release your anointing and your favor. Lord, I know his heart. He's not a Jew, but he's a Jew at heart. And Lord, I know he's a Zionist as we are. Lord, we pray for the blessings to flow. Lord, that you would just open wide your gates. Bless Mary. She's with the family and visiting in California right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the connection. Lord, we don't know all the things you're doing, but you said in Genesis 12, 3, those who bless Israel will be blessed. There's a love there that is supernatural. We can't explain it, but we know it's true. So, Lord, I just thank you for more and more, a release of the more. Give him rest from all the travel. It's difficult to go from place to place, but, Lord, I pray, just hide him in the palm of your hand right now. Give him rest. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Whew. God's good. If you want to pull out your, um, am I really loud? I am really loud. Okay, Jim's going to take care of us. <laughs> Praise God. I want to pull out your outline. I had um, really been meditating on this title. Actually, the Lord's been messing with me. You know, I had a lot of things happen in the last few months that challenge. I, I, I like the word. Tony Barrows came in this morning, pulled me aside, and said she was driving in, and she said, your past doesn't define your future. He said, I have a word for you. Your past does not define your future. I like that. And then what Paul said? He said, uh, forget those things that are behind, pressing on to the things that are before. Um, in fact, so he said, so um, this word that's been rattling in me was actually, I heard this statement, and I, it's kind of messed with me. I'm going to try and mess with you all this morning. Is that all right? You know, the Lord will comfort you, but it will also make you uncomfortable. 
So I have a question for you that I've been wrestling with, and I, sometimes I don't like some of the answers I get in some of the areas, but are you a follower of Jesus Christ or are you an admirer? See, there's a, a whole lot of um, admirers. They like his teaching. I've met people of other faith. They said, you know, I really like his, his teaching about love, and um, I like all the blessings, the promises. How many want to go to heaven and not go to hell? <laughs> I like that. How about the promises of health and, and covering and protection? Seek me, find me. Those are, We love all that. But let me ask this question. I was watching recently some folks in India that were being beaten because they had, these were young men from our seminary who had been beaten because they had been giving out tracts. They were stripped naked. The video was absolutely very disturbing. It really racked me. I, I, I said, man, I'm, I'm not, I don't even want to put it out. But they were standing there and they were being beaten with rods by Hindus who were telling them, you're not going to do this anymore. So they had humiliated them by stripping them naked and then they were being beaten. And the reality of that hit me. I said, how many of us are fair-weather Christians? When this thing gets off track, how are we going to respond to that? Then you'll find out if you're a follower, you just admire everything. And so I've been really reflecting on that myself. And the journey that we've been on as a body of believers throughout all this and things we've experienced. And there was another statement that the Lord just gave me, the Holy Spirit, because we know that to be a follower, there's some other words. If you look at the definitions here on your first page below that paragraph, the definition of a disciple, which is a follower, is also called a student, but someone who admires is someone who has very high regard or is attracted to. There's a big difference. This is the Holy Spirit this morning as I was meditating on this, he says, you know, the journey, Tom, of discipleship is a journey to eradicate the hypocrisy that's in your life. Let me say it again. Discipleship is the journey, Tom, to eradicate the hypocrisy that's in your life. I said, Lord, what do you mean by that? I don't like that. He goes, I want to get you to the point where you can stop seeing the speck in your neighbor's eye and I want you to get the log out of your own eye. I'm, call, I'm talking to us right now because the, the Western church, the American church is very, very comfortable. We got it all. We got good music. We got air conditioning. We got food. We got transportation. We got the health care. You know, I had surgery this week. Got seven stitches I'll get out Tuesday and I'm done. Praise God. We've got health care, so I was thanking the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm just getting tired of all. Why don't you be glad you got doctors who can find this stuff? As, as Westerners, we've got it all. I don't know how many of you have ever missed a meal. Some of us probably could miss a few. Speaking to me right now, none of y'all, right? And so this, this idea of the discipleship walk as students of Christ as followers of Christ, how far will you go with him? If it came down to life or death, my prayer has been, Lord, let me never deny you. 
But what about the denying that happens on the routine things associated with everyday life? That's one of the things that followers would look at. So the question, what if someone said, I'd like you to come and prove to me that you're a follower and not just an admirer? How would you stack up in the proof? Let's have a court of law. I'd like you to take tomorrow, take a few hours, and come in and defend your walk as a follower of Christ. Prove it. And again, I'm speaking to me right now. I said, well, Lord, how would that go? He said, well, follow the money. Follow the time. Follow the activity. Follow the language. Follow the friends. And follow your response to rejection and betrayal. I said, Lord, there's, I haven't done really well in all those areas at times. But as a student, as a one who follows Christ, praise God that I don't have to worry about the past. I can focus on the future. So wherever you may have messed this up yesterday, maybe this morning, the Lord says, come follow me. I listed on the top of the page there of your handout, Jesus said many times, come follow me and be my disciple. In fact, the last words that Jesus gave to the 11, who would become his actual true disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So let's turn. I want to look at a couple of scriptures in Matthew 10. If you'll turn with me there. In Matthew chapter 10, this is where he's about to send out the 12 on one of their first mission trips. First, he calls the 12, and he lists them there in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. I've got King James in New Living. I'll probably read most from the New Living, but I will bounce to the King James as well. Jesus called, this is verse 1, Matthew 10, 1. Jesus called the 12 disciples together. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease, and to heal the illnesses. And here are their names. Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas the Scariot, who would betray him. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Go, do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. That'll be later. But only go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cure those with leprosy, cast out the demons, give as freely as you have received. We'll skip down. It says, look, in verse 16, he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be as shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves, but beware. 
you're going to be, now this is a part of the follower discipleship that he tells us is going to happen, but we kind of don't like this and skip it over. Well, that was back then. It can't possibly be now. In fact, there are more people that have been martyred since this time than there was before that time. This modern day, we know that from ISIS, that brought it to the forefront. Look, I'm sending you out, but beware, verse 17, for you will be handed over to the courts, you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues, you'll stand before governors, kings, because you are my followers. But this will be an opportunity to tell the rulers and the other unbelievers about me. When you're arrested, don't worry about your response on what you'll say. God will give you the right words at just the right time. For it is not you that will be speaking. It will be by the Spirit, your Father speaking through you. A brother will betray brother to death. A father will betray his own child. Children will rebel against their parents, cause them to be killed, and all the nations will hate you because you are my followers. That doesn't sound like a really wonderful resume on a follower. Come be my follower. Be my disciple. Here's what's going to happen to you. All the nations will hate you, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. That's future tense. A lot of times Jesus spoke in the past tense. He says, you're going to reach towns in Israel at some point. And I know there are those like Neil that have been sowing in Hebron and others. There are towns there that need to be reached by Christ. And there will be a coming in that Romans 11 promise that all Israel will be saved. Then he goes on and he teaches, he says, but everyone who endures, and I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will come before you have reached all the towns. Students are not greater than their teacher. Slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and the slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. This follower stuff, I don't know. Can we skip over that? Let's, let's. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. The time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and the secret things will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness will be shouted abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops, For all to hear, don't be afraid. That's the second time in the paragraph. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is this price of two sparrows? A copper coin? Not a single sparrow will fall to the ground without your father knowing it. The very hairs on your head are numbered. We like that. We quote that. It's in the context of being killed. (laughs) Don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. And everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's good news. But everyone who denies me here on earth, what does that look like? I will deny before my Father in heaven. 
Don't imagine. Here's another scripture that I, I don't really fully understand it. I don't really like it, but it's true. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Time out. I thought that he was the prince of peace. Didn't he come to the shepherds and say, glory to God on earth, peace, goodwill to men? Here's the tension in Scripture. Didn't, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring not peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be in your own household. Oh, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to honor mother and father. Yes, you are. He goes on and he tells us what you're to do. If you love your father and you love your mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross, follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. Those are strong words. I have had this opportunity to share with families who have been torn apart because of faith. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Anyone who receives you receives me. Anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. If you receive a righteous person because of their righteousness, you'll be given a righteous reward. And if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you surely will be rewarded. This question about following or admiring when push comes to shove and the battleground in your own household while in the past I've ministered a woman who was a believer she'd become a believer her husband was of another faith tormented her, tormented her, struggled with, how do I endure this? How do I continue to love in the midst of this? I have an enemy in my own household, an enemy of my faith. Scripture has real bearing on what that might do and mean. If you look at your outline... In Matthew 28, where he said to the disciples, I have given you authority because it was given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them. Teach the new ones to obey. Teach the new disciples to obey. I believe this struggle of hypocrisy, I know I'm not alone here, but I know I'm getting beat up on by the Holy Spirit. How many of us judge others by what we see them do, and yet, if you look in the mirror, maybe the thing that bugs you the most is something you struggle with. That's the log and the speck stuff that he speaks of. He calls us, I've shared this in the past, he calls us, you hypocrites, you judge others 
and you see their faults, but then you give yourself so much grace. And I believe that this walk of discipleship really is about undoing the hypocrisy in our lives. That what we say we believe and the things that we do, they coincide. That's where I believe fellowship and discipleship and students of the word are the ones that are to be followers of him. Now, I get a lot of comfort in the fact that after three years, the disciples still did not really believe. Turn with me. Let's look at this one. Let's look at John 16. John chapter 16. Jesus is about to go to the cross. I mean, it's coming down. The, the, the ordered portion of time has come where he doesn't have any time left. It's been over three years now. They have seen something that um, was said that you can see miraculous things and still not believe. See, what a miracle does, when you see a sign or a wonder, it forces a decision. But I've been in places where I've seen miraculous things occur. I've seen the legs go straight, the blind eyes go from white to brown. The tumors fall out from their body right in front of us. I've seen these things. You can't tell me I didn't see them. I'm telling you what I saw. God's honest truth. I saw them. But those things do not necessarily change someone from unbelief to belief. They're captured by the power of that. And for these disciples to have walked three years with him and still have this Question, in fact, even after the resurrection, he chastised them for not believing. There was a witness from the women who ran from the tomb. And he says, some still didn't believe. Let's look at John 16. It's coming down to, to the point where he's about ready to go to the cross. In verse 1 it says, I have told these things, Jesus said, so that you won't abandon your faith. That's good. Wow. I'm about ready to leave, and I'm really counting on you disciples. The question is, why did he need disciples? I don't know why he did it this way, but he wanted to leave on earth these 11, with Matthias later 12, that would spread the gospel. They would all die except be martyred, except for John. They would be willing to lay down their life. That's a true follower. They died in the testimony of faith. Stabbed, beaten, stoned, swords, beheaded, crucified upside down. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you will not abandon your faith. Verse 2, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming. They will kill you and think that you are, they are serving a holy God. Does that sound like what's going on in the Middle East? This is because they never have known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so when they happen, You'll remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you a little while. But now I'm going to go away. And the one who sent me, and not one of you, is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because I've told you. But in fact, it is best that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the comforter, won't come. 
But if I do go away, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and God's righteousness of the coming judgment. The words that it, that it is, they will refuse to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling of whatever he receives from me. And that belongs to the father who is mine. And this is what the spirit will tell you. Whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples, they asked each other, what does he mean? In a little while, we'll see him, and then we won't see him. And I'm going to the Father, and he doesn't. What does it mean? We don't understand. Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but in a little while, then you will see me again. And I tell you the truth. You will weep and you will mourn, and this is going to happen to me, but the world, will the world will rejoice, but you will grieve. But then suddenly, your grief will turn to such wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to the joy that was brought to her in the new baby into the world. So you see sorrow now, but I will see, and you will see again, and you will rejoice. And no one can rob that joy from you. And that time, you won't need to ask me anything. I will tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and I will grant your request by using my name. You haven't done this before. I'm asking you to use my name, and you will receive it, and you will hear it, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken these matters in figures of speech, but soon I'll stop speaking figuratively, and I will tell you plainly about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I am returning to the Father. Here's a verse that, whew. Then the disciples said, oh, at last you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. See, up to this point, all of John 16 and before was all about parables and stories and correlations, and they're like, Seeds and example, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not worthy of being mine. They're like, oh my gosh, what's that? Right? Those were figurative speeches. He says, I'm going to tear down this temple in three days. I'm going to rebuild it. And they're going, it took 48 years to build it. What is he talking about? Now, all of a sudden, he says, look at the question he asks. Verse 31. At last, you're speaking plainly. There's no more need to question, for we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? <laughs> He's kind of like, 
Oh, praise the Father. They got it. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When you will be scattered, each of you going his own way, leaving everyone alone, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you'll have peace in me. Now here it is, Prince of Peace. You'll have peace in me, not on earth. There will be many trials, but I want you to take heart because I have overcome the world. Yes, he's the Prince of Peace. I have told you these things, verse 33, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. John 17, then Jesus goes into the prayer of Jesus to the Father, praying for you and I and all that will ever follow him. And he goes on and he says, he glorifies the Father. He says, now glorify your Son. Verse 6 of John 17, he says, I have revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They've accepted it now. They know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those that you've given me. Because they belong to you, all are mine that belong to you. You've given them to me so they can bring me glory. I'm departing from this world. They're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. During this time, I protected them by the power of your name that you gave me. I guarded them so not one was lost except the one that was headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they might be filled with your joy. I have them given them your word. The world hates them. They don't belong to this world, just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy. By your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice so they can be made holy by your truth. And I'm not praying for only these disciples but for all who ever will believe in me through their message. I have given them glory that you gave me so that we might be one as you and I are one. My experience, such perfect unity, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then 
they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me before the world began. Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples, they know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Powerful, powerful words of what the Lord told them was going to happen. You and I, I believe we're going to see some things happen in the not-too-distant future that are already shaking this world. Just look at the weather patterns. Look at all that's going on. It is just getting wilder and wilder. Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. This rain, I think they said it was in 1868. There was some, so it's happened before. Jesus said, this thing's coming on the earth that are going to be so bad that if he didn't shorten it, even the very elect would be deceived. So I know I'm preaching this word. It's something I, I just want us to get settled in our heart. Pastor Terry and I talk about this at times. What would it be like if and we the Lord, what would it be like if you're put there to the test? Will you deny me? Will you give your life for me? Terry's got this philosophy, I think it's a great one, that we don't feel anything. I like that. I don't know. It's not about feelings. It's about conviction and commitment. So I ask us again, ask yourself tonight, when you get quiet with the Lord, you're on the beach, Lord, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a student. I want to be a disciple, the one who's got the word in me. I don't want to just admire all your promises. I don't want to be a fair-weather Christian. And then you do the inventory. Follow your time. Follow your words. Follow your money. Follow your friends. Follow what you watch. Follow your activities. You ask the Lord. Let me finish in this outline. I want to have communion and we close here. What does it look like to be a disciple? Number one there, it says our faith and our values in Christ are on a collision course with the world's values. Does your life confirm or contradict what you say you believe? In Romans, he said, don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think, and then he'll show you his perfect plan and will for your life. The admirers, they just, they like all the blessings. It's kind of like self-improvement plan in Jesus. I like it because it's like, you know, self-improvement. Well, it is. <laughs> You're a new creature in Christ. He said it. There's another thing that challenges me, that friendship with God is not automatic. Friendship with God is not automatic. It took the disciples three years to finally believe and follow him. I like that because then this, there's grace for our struggle of faith. Right? It's those things, I know there's lots of, Debates around Paul's writings in Romans 7, which says, the things I hate to do, I do. The things I, do, I should do, I don't. What? 
But praise God, in Romans 8, he says, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who walk in the Spirit. I think it's 31 times the word Spirit is used in Romans 8 in the King James. And so this walk of the Spirit is a, is a journey that we're on. And no matter where you failed, failed, no matter where I have failed, he says there's grace for that. Do you finally believe? Oh, I do. I finally believe, Lord. You mean, can you believe me when all the tragic things happened and all the loss and all the things that have hurt, occurred that, can, can you trust me in the midst of the things you don't like and you don't understand? Yeah. We go on in Jesus. When they turned to him in John 6 and said they all abandoned him when he preached that sermon about eat my flesh and drink my blood. When he turned to the disciples, he said, so are you going to leave also? These are the ones that dropped everything and said, I will follow you. Matthew, the tax collector. James, John, Andrew, Peter. Where would we go? We've seen that you carry the life. Where would we possibly go to find life? So, Lord, as we prepare, Mike and Amber are going to do a communion this morning. Mike, would you guys bring over the communion table? As we're preparing for communion, let's close our eyes this morning. And I really, I know that the Holy Spirit's bringing that conviction to us. And it's not about perfection, and it's certainly not about guilt or shame. But the Lord really is after followers, those who will lay down all the things that compete so lord i pray that you'd search our hearts paul told us in 1 corinthians 11 that we were to test ourselves to look at ourselves if we would judge ourselves then he doesn't have to judge us lord i We've all been judgmental and critical, and we've, we've said things that were not of a righteous heart. The mouth has spoken, but the heart has revealed, and those things are not what you would have us. So I pray for that revelation of truth that you invite us to come, not because you're angry but because you declared us righteous by faith in you. Search us now.